0: Hey everyone, hope you are doing well this week. Uh, we are starting a new series entitled The Light. And it is a short two week series. And as we enter into this Christmas season, and we're going to talk about two groups of people over the next two weeks. They're very different. And one group saw a star, and the star is the shepherds. They saw a star, and the other saw a bright, shining heavenly host of angels. So they both saw this light that led them to what is more important, which is Jesus, the light of the world. Today we're going to be talking about the three wise men as most of us grew up knowing them. They're actually called magi, scholars of their time. They weren't just three rich men, but they were three brilliantly capable men and we actually don't know if there was only three of them. There could have been any number of them. It just says magi traveled from the east. So, this the story would go three wise men, but That that's fine for a story. It's really easy for nativity scenes, but we don't actually know how many of them there were. The scripture that we're going to look at reveals traits of these magi and how we can follow suit. So we're going to jump in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to start right at the beginning, verses 1 and 2. And it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the first trait that we're going to look at this idea that they were seekers, not sitters. They were seekers, not sitters. They saw the star, and they decided to follow quickly. They didn't sit around. They didn't sit on their hands. It's it's really likely that these men's were men were descendants of Babylon, and Babylon's where Daniel survived the lion's den, if you're familiar with that story. It's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survived the fiery furnace. The, these incredible stories happened. So, they would have known the Old Testament prophecies that indicate a light in the sky, meaning that a new king was born. They were excited. They were were filled with excitement, and they went to find Jesus. They sought out Jesus. And how that applies to us today is that we should be people who seek Jesus out. We should be people who seek Jesus out. It can be so easy to be immersed in a consumer-driven spirituality. Too many times we expect everything to fall into our lap. These men were moved to physically seek out the newborn king, and we need to do whatever we can to go seek out our king. And if that's something that we need to get up and we need to put ourselves in a new space, that's fantastic. Just putting ourselves in a new headspace or getting ourselves in an environment where we can dive into scripture, whatever it may be, we need to be intentional about seeking Jesus out. See, the fact of the matter is this is that they mostly traveled for months to find Jesus. You and I just have to take the time to stop and have a conversation to find him. Yet we so often fail to take the actual time to do that. And it's because of this consumer-driven faith, this consumer-driven spirituality and the reason that consumer driven spirituality is so dangerous is because it one creates a spirit of entitlement feed me bring jesus to me i'm going to i might i might show up to your building but i want you to impart all of the wisdom and all the knowledge on me and i'm not even going to take notes i just want you to speak truth to me and i'm going to expect that to be life changing and while there are moments where we sit now we listen to other people speak about their faith or we hear them speak about Jesus and we're like, yeah, like that's amazing. I can resonate with that. That's really good. Real growth won't happen if we expect other people to feed us. We have to seek Jesus out on our own time. And, and going to church is a way that you're seeking Jesus out. You're putting yourself in that space, but get in your Bible, get in a prayer life, all of those different things. We need to make sure we're not saying, feed me, bring Jesus to me. Secondly, Consumer-driven spirituality decreases our desire for personal relationship. See, the most amazing thing about a relationship with Jesus is that your relationship with Jesus is so much different than my relationship with Jesus. And while he's one and the same, he's a God that loves us both so much, so unconditionally, his relationship with us is unique. How we approach him is different. How, how we connect is different. What speaks to us is different. All the things about our relationship with Jesus is different. And that's amazing that the creator of the universe is able to have these individual personal relationships that aren't just blanket relationships where it's like, hey, this is what it looks like. There are elements where like, yeah, I can resonate with that. That's, that's also what it's like with me and Jesus. But there's this incredible personal aspect of following Jesus. And we do not need to look at other people's relationship with Jesus and say, hey, well, that's what I want. I want that. There might be elements that you're like, I would love to have that kind of relationship or, or be the kind of person that puts myself in those types of situations or, or creates that space. But I don't want your relationship with Jesus. I want my relationship with Jesus, and you should want the same. But when we're only driven by this consumer spirituality, we just want. We want, we want, we want, and we want what other people have, not what Jesus has for us. And then thirdly, it kills our passion for knowledge. Consumer-driven spirituality kills our passion for knowledge. We stop asking questions. We expect to be spoon-fed Our relationship with Jesus. We expect to be spoon fed scripture. We expect to be spoon fed the understanding of that scripture. But just like any other relationship, we have immense responsibility to participate. And we have to be willing to seek Jesus out and not be consumer driven, but be so driven in our own personal lives to go and build a relationship with Jesus. So, why did the Magi seek out the new king of the Jews? Was it to ask something? Because to be fair, he was the Messiah. Like they could go ask for anything. He was going to be the savior of the world. And I think that it's really important that we understand that that is not why they went. What they went for, and this is our next point, is that they came to worship. It says that they came to worship. We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. I think that we sometimes forget that worshiping Jesus is a primary part of our relationship with him. I'm not talking about worship in the music sense. I mean sitting in front of Jesus and being in awe of the fact that we're even allowed to have a conversation with him in the first place. I am a big worship guy. I love worshiping. I would worship every single night. If somebody had a guitar and wanted to lead worship for me every single day, that would be a dream for me. But that isn't the only way that we worship. And one of the ways that we need to worship is in the way that we approach Jesus and say, man, I cannot believe that you are willing to have a relationship with me. Messy, disgusting, broken me, full of all of my flaws. And yet you love me. You love me so much. You love me more than I could ever understand. And I am in awe of that. A posture of worship is recognizing whom it is that we are in relationship with and always recognizing its significance. When I was growing up, uh, I went to a small private school here in Billings called Billings Christian School, and uh, they do a fundraiser every single year, and one of the keynote speakers was Kurt Warner, who was at the time the quarterback of the St. Louis Rams, and he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, and for some reason, I got a spot at the table with him. And I got to sit and eat dinner with him. And I was so awkward. My mouth was agape the whole time. I was just staring at this guy as he's having conversations. He kept like looking at me and you could tell he was like, what is wrong with this kid? Like, why is he just staring at me? He'd be like, Hey, do you have any questions? And I'm just like, "Uh uh-uh, uh, I just want to stare at you. I just want to be like amazed at the fact that I'm even sitting next to a hall of fame quarterback that I get to watch on TV. And here's the thing. Kurt Warner is a really amazing dude. He's so kind. He loves Jesus, but he's probably never thought of me again. Unless he's told a story of like, hey, this one time in Billings, Montana, this crazy little kid just stared at me the entire time. He'll never think of me again, but Jesus is the savior of the world, and he thinks about me every single day. He thinks about me every single day. He thinks about you every single day. We need to be in awe of that. Our mouth should be agape thinking of the fact that Jesus is willing to step into intimate relationship with us. And I love that we can cry out to God in times of need and that he he will listen, but we should always be sure that we are filled with more worship than want, more worship than want. That even in our wants and in our needs, we should be worshiping. So that at the front end, we would say, hey, Lord, I can't believe that you're even willing to hear my petition, that you would even be willing to hear my cry. But thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for me. And this is what's going on in my life. Always full of more worship than want. The story goes on to say this, Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. This is when King Herod heard this. He was disturbed and all of Jerusalem, Jerusalem with him. See, later in the chapter, we find out that Herod actually wants to kill Jesus because he himself was the king of the Jews. The Magi come and they say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And he's like, no, I'm literally the king of the Jews. I'm appointed by Rome to rule over the land of Judea. Like, I'm the king of the Jews and they're saying, where's the new king of the Jews? So he was taken aback. He wanted to know when exactly the star appeared, because he wanted to know how old Jesus was. He knew that it was months of travel. He knew that they probably wouldn't find him right away. There's so many different things going on, but he knew that if he could pinpoint when the star was first seen, that he would know exactly when Jesus or around when Jesus was born. Because later on in the chapter, he he orders the death the execution of all boys under 2 in bethlehem he didn't want to be replaced he didn't want the messiah to come he was comfortable where he was at but all of this communicates something is that it wasn't just like a short hey we're going to go find the messiah tonight and then we're going to we're going to bounce what it was is they took months and months to even get to King Herod, then they took more time to find Jesus. In fact, we'll find out at the end of this the, these passages in the last couple of verses is that they actually find Jesus with his parents in a house. They're no longer in a stable, so we know that this is a significant time in the future. All of this was a journey, but the journey was worth it. The Magi knew that the journey was worth it. They knew what they were supposed to do, and they knew that it would be a grind, but they did it anyway. We need to be people who are willing to step into things that take time. All of us have people in our lives that ask for advice all the time, but they never listen. And it's so frustrating until it clicks. Until it clicks, then you're like, yes, they get it. They got it. Their relationship with Jesus, they're like, I don't know, I don't know. They're on the fence. They're asking questions. They're, they're frustrating. They're, th- they're asking things that, that don't matter. They're getting consumed with conspiracy theories. They're getting consumed with things that are extra biblical, all these things. I was like, no, you need to know what's it's central to the gospel, and that's Jesus. It's Jesus. Just focus on Jesus, and then everything else will fall into place. And it's so hard to watch people not have a relationship with Jesus, and yet it's so worth the time. I have a relationship in my life with my brother who's 12 years older than me. He's one of my favorite human beings in the world. And uh, I've been following Jesus for a really long time, and it's taken my brother a really long time to finally get to a space where, where he feels like he's comfortable stepping into a relationship with Jesus and is considering getting baptized and all of these incredible things. And for the last 30 years, I've got to have conversations with my brother, some little, some big. And now that he he's stepping into a relationship with Jesus, a, a real faith, I would never, ever say that wasn't worth the time. That was worth every moment of every day of every conversation, every question, every consideration, whatever it is. If my brother finds Jesus, it's worth every single second of the journey. See, we need to be people who are willing to step in to situations that are going to take time, step into relationships that are going to take time, that relationship that you're in right now that's unhealthy is going to take time to get healthy. It's not going to be just a miracle and it's just going to snap into a healthy spot. That job you want, that promotion that you want will take time. That understanding of scripture, I promise, will take time. The why, the why of the painful situation that you're in right now is going to take time. Be willing to step in to situations that take time. We have to be willing to appreciate the journey. Where we are right now is not where we want to be forever. We look forward to the future, but we have to see value in the present. Eventually, if we follow Jesus, we get to meet him face-to-face just as the Magi did. The next thing that they model is this, is that they weren't worried about convenience. They weren't worried about convenience. It would have been much better for them, more convenient for them if the Messiah was born closer to home, but they didn't hesitate to go to him even though he was born hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. We live in a culture that perpetuates convenience. And while there are amazing things about convenience, hey, Amazon, how's it going? Uh, It kills our willingness to be inconvenienced. Amazon's a great example. If my, my package is supposed to be two-day delivery, it gets delayed one day. Oh, I'm so frustrated. I'm so frustrated that it's running late. How dare something take three days to get to me from across the country, right? We are unwilling to be in convenience, but convenient circumstances don't cause growth. Inconvenient Incon- ones do. Inconvenient ones do. When we are placed in situations that we don't want to be in, that is where real love, faith, and grace Show up. I've had the experience over the last couple of years of some people who, uh, they're just amazing, and they just they need stuff all the time. And there's there's been s- several situations where I'm just like I don't want to step into this. Like I just want to go home. I just want to rest. I want to I want to do whatever it is that I need to do. I need to focus on that. And I, I will never forget a specific situation where I just decided to, to say, Hey, yeah, I will help out. I end up having to give them a ride. I gave them a ride uh, to their homes, and uh, I dropped one off, and then I was talking to the other guy, and it wasn't a short drive. Like he lived really far away, and I and I was giving him a ride, and in, in the 15 minutes that I was giving him a ride, he started to pour out his heart. He started to tell me everything that was going on with his family, at work, all those different things, and I was just like. Man, this was what I would consider an inconvenient situation, yet I'm learning so much. I'm learning about this guy. I'm learning how to pastor. I'm learning how to love. I'm learning to have faith in situations because he's expressing that even though things are really hard, he is trusting God with every aspect of his life. Like I just learned so much, and I grew so much in that 15-minute car ride. It was an inconvenient, it started out as an inconvenient situation, and yet Jesus used it to grow me, to stretch me, to challenge me. We need to be willing to be inconvenienced. We need to be willing to be inconvenienced. It will change our perspective. It will grow us. It will stretch us. It's so vitally important. The last couple verses, Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, They gave their best to Jesus. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. This was the best they had for Jesus. And I hesitated to use this as a point. They gave their best to Jesus. It just sounds so churchy. Like, give, hey, kids, don't forget. Give your best to Jesus. But because of that, because we've heard that, if you've grown up in the church, you're like, hey, you need to give your best to Jesus. I think we've lost the meaning of it. I think that we, we've just kind of glossed over it or we look right by it. And it's so important that we don't do that because it's vital. It's so, so, so important. Our humanity often creates a dynamic within us that leads us to to giving out of what is left, and we prioritize ourselves and our own wants and our own desires, and then we think of others afterwards, and when others become boxes to be checked after we filled our tank, after we get gotten gotten what we have needed, that, that there's there's so much challenge in that statement that we give out of what is left, but we, Jesus is asking, asking us to give from the very, very beginning. And unfortunately, Jesus oftentimes falls in to the other's category of our lives. We run through what needs to be accomplished this day or this week, and we find, and if we find time to, to spend time in our Bible or go to church, then great. And, and it's, it's not because we don't want to do those things. It's just, you know, there's only so much time in a day. There's only so much time in a day, and I have to accomplish these things. And and my Bible just isn't a priority, and church isn't a priority, community isn't a priority. See, in Scripture, time and time again, it will talk about giving first fruits. And agriculturally, this meant the first of one's crop, but for us, it means the first of ourselves. Our first fruits. We need to give the first of ourselves to God and to other people. What would happen? What would happen if we truly gave God and the people in our lives, the best parts of us, the first parts of us, the best parts of our talents and gifts, the first parts of our talents and gifts, the first part of our resources, our time, our money, the spaces that we live in, our friend groups, those are resources, those are resources for people. What if we gave the best of those things to other people and we trusted that there would be plenty left over for us? What if we gave the first, the best part of our prayer? to worshiping Jesus, the first part of our prayers to, to offering up other people in our lives and their needs, the things that are going on in their lives. What would happen? I think our world would be different. I think our city would be different if we gave the best part of ourselves to Jesus and to other people, that we don't just give out of what's left. We need to prioritize correctly. The Magi understood that they were presenting their gifts to a king, and that's why they gave frankincense and gold and myrrh. Those were the most expensive, the most glorious gifts that they could even give. They understood that they were giving their gifts to a king. We need to understand that we are giving the best parts of ourselves to a king, to our king, to Jesus. Everything that we have, the first fruits of everything that we have, needs to go to Jesus. It needs to go to other people. We need to think of ourselves last we need to approach Jesus as the King that He is, and we need to approach people like the loved children of God that they are. Hey, thank you so much for listening into the College Age Movement podcast. We'll be back next week with part two. If you are in Billings, we always want to invite you to come to College Age Movement. We meet at Tuesday, on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock here at Faith Chapel, and we would love, love, love to see you here and get you plugged in to family. We'll talk to you guys really soon.